It's Tuesday, which means a new Fenway Rundown. I'm your host, Chris Cotillo, coming to you from Las Vegas here at the Conrad at Resorts World, where the general manager meetings are underway. Officially today on Tuesday, Heim Bloom, Brian O'Halloran, and some Red Sox executives are here kind of laying out the early parts of their offseason. I often get the question on Twitter, what are the GM meetings? Is any action going to happen? What do those days look like? So we decided to call in an expert. Zach Scott was the Red Sox assistant GM. He was a longtime Red Sox executive for about 20 years before leaving for the Mets, becoming the assistant GM and then the acting GM there. He uh, joins us today uh, to talk about a lot of things. Number one, what are the GM meetings? What do those days look like? Telling some, some fun GM meeting stories from the past. And then we get into some Red Sox talk, which is very interesting perspective from a guy who you know was in the front office and had a front row seat for everything as of two years ago. He gets into... You know, what he thinks the Red Sox should do this winter and things like that. So appreciate Zach Scott coming on this week and hope you enjoy it. With the general manager's meeting starting this week in Las Vegas, figured that we would go to uh, somebody who had been through a lot of them to actually, you know, tell people what they're actually like. I feel like, you know, everybody knows what the winter meetings are like. People are, you know, a little more confused about what these GM meetings are every November. So really pleased to be joined by Zach Scott, longtime Red Sox executive, Mets executive, and now the founder and CEO of Four Ring Sports Solutions. We'll get into that. But Zach, first of all, thanks for coming on and welcome to the show. Yeah, happy to be here, Chris. So let's let's get into it. The GM meetings. I mean, I'm going to guess you've been to what, probably 15, 16, 17 of them, or maybe more. Yeah, something like that. A lot of them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, what is you know for someone in your chair as you know, top executive, eventually assistant GM, and then acting GM, what is a typical day at those like? You know, this week they'll be at the Conrad in Las Vegas. They're usually somewhere nice, whether in Scottsdale or California or at some resort. But what is the day to day of that like as, you know, front office really gets into beginning the off season? Sure. Well, it's, you know, compared to December's winter meetings, it's a much smaller travel party. Yeah. Uh, it tends to be kind of your top, you know, handful of executives from each club. Um, and, you know, there are actual meetings at these um, where, you get together with major league baseball people from major league baseball and discuss possible rule changes. They may uh, pull this, you know, the teams to get a feel for what, what, um, you know, future things teams might be interested in both on the field, but also, you know, um, contract related issues or even employee related issues. Um, so there's, there's a lot of discussion about kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, um, running major league baseball and, and, and operating teams. There are also breakout sessions, which tend to be actually pretty interesting where you, you know, your representatives from your team get together with about five, you know, four or five other teams and you're, you know, you break out into groups and discuss specific topics that are given um, to you by the league. Uh, they want you to kind of work through it. There'll be league MLB officials there to kind of listen mm -hmm. in and maybe facilitate some of the conversation if necessary. But it usually is a good sharing of ideas, maybe a little debate at times. Um, so there's, there's actually a lot of meetings that go on during the day. Uh, they're not too long. You know, it's usually you start probably around 9am, go till, um, you know, two o'clock or so um, with lunch in between. And then you're pretty much on your own to kind of start, feeling out your off-season plan and you probably show up i think before the meetings 
you typically have already reached out to all the other teams to get right. a feel for kind of what they're looking to do, right? They they'll there's a pretty open sharing of you know what their needs are. If they have kind of players that are, they're they're willing to talk about moving, they might bring that up on those calls. So you've already talked to the 29 other teams before you you arrive at these meetings, um, and it's really early in the off season. Obviously, it gets started right after the World Series. So um, you know, there's not a whole lot that actually happens, but there's mm-hmm. groundwork being laid. You know, for some conversations, we've definitely had engaged in more trade conversations at the GM meetings to just kind of feel out, you know, what's possible. Um, something, nothing really. It's rare that something happens. Um, and since you're so early in free agency, there's you, you'll have your initial calls with agents maybe to express interest. Um, right. But that's going to take a while. So not this is more about the teams kind of getting together. And there's a social aspect to it too. Mm-hmm. There's you know it starts with a um, a cocktail event that kind of allows people to kind of get together. And you know we don't see each other that often during the year, so it's good right. to see friends throughout the industry and just kind of connect on a more informal level. Yeah, that was actually the the first GM meetings I did. Like, or I guess it was the second one, but you know, it was Heim's first one here, and it was like, you know, asking him, you know, how well he knew Theo Epstein. He said, you know, gone to know him because he's able to, you know, he's able to hang with the big with the big guys late, you know, during these GM meetings. And right, um, when you were in Boston, were there any moments at the GM meetings that you were like? big moments where you figured like, all right, we just made a huge step into getting someone that we were going, we're going to get later in the off season. Like, did you ever leave a GM meeting thinking like, all right, we have a really good inside track on whether it be a trade or, or a uh, free agent signing, whatever it may be. Yeah. I, I, there's definitely times, you know, the most recent one I'd say um, when Dave Dombrowski was the president of baseball ops, um, I think we had a pretty good feel on the closer market when we ended up acquiring Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. Um, or Chapman was on the market at that point. We had a pretty good feel for, you know, who was available right. and what it would take. So, um, and I can't recall the exact timing of when we did those, but we were, we got pretty far down the road on both of those players as they were the top targets mm-hmm. on the list. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's happened and earlier. I wasn't at, these GM meetings really early in my career, but I do the 2000, the, the 2006 or post 2005 trade, the big Josh Beckett trade with Hanley Ramirez Right. that, you know, I was talking to Jed Hoyer. I was back in Boston, but we were having a lot of conversations about what was going on. If you recall, that was the one where Theo was, had taken a brief hiatus before returning later that right after the gorilla suit, right? Yes, that's right. So um, there was quite a group of people that we were kind of a, uh, we didn't have anyone that was a GM at the time uh, or have that title. So it was like a group of five or six people trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. uh, plus more people back in the office. Um, so, yeah, that was a huge trade, obviously. And we made a lot of progress uh, with the Marlins on that one at, at those winter meetings. Yeah. I mean, did there, I mean, GM meetings, sorry. Uh, do these, I mean, that's kind of the question. You know, this has been now three years without the GM meetings, three years without the winter meetings because of, um, you know, the pandemic and, and, you know, the lockout last year with the winter meetings, does it, as time went on, did it feel like, you know, these were more kind of a moot point or unnecessary because you can do everything via, you know, zoom phone call, text, email, FaceTime, you know, did that, did that feel like, you know, why are we flying all the way across the country to do have these conversations we can have from home? 
Yeah, I definitely. That's definitely true. I mean, I had to, when you first asked me that question about some deals we got close on, Yeah, I had to go back pretty far. I did recall the, you know, obviously the more recent one with, with Kimbrel. Right. Uh, but it just has changed. The reason I had to go back pretty far before I was even attending these meetings was because it has changed. And it's, you know, I think most executives today feel like they, they want to make sure with both the GM meetings and the um, winter meetings that they're not feeling um, kind of an artificial pressure to get mm-hmm. something done um, but before those meetings end. I think that's probably more relevant for the winter meetings. I think it's still just too early in general for things to really happen yeah. at the GM meetings um, and always kind of happen. So the GM meetings are good in the sense that there's some interesting issues to talk about mm-hmm. for all the teams and at the league level. Um, it's good to connect with people in a less, um, you know, in a smaller scale than the winter meetings. That's the other thing is the GM meetings, it started to grow and scale a little bit. It used to be to have like two or three people from each team. Now it's grown yeah. to more like four or five, maybe even more in some cases, at least not at the meetings, but doing support, you know, being in the hotel for support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, the social aspect is always fun. So I think people, in the industry tend to enjoy the GM meetings. The winter meetings, I think, have become a little bit more of, um, you know, this unnecessary thing that most people understand that it could create a frenzy that's, yeah, especially yeah. with free agents, that is maybe an unnecessary pressure. But I still, you know, working for Dave was interesting because Dave is definitely, you know, someone of the mindset of kind of how it's mostly been for a long time. He's been in the game forever. Right. And his idea of going to these meetings is this is another an opportunity to execute our plan. And mm-hmm. he was probably of, of the, the four different executives I worked for in Boston, the, the most aggressive in making sure we've made some progress in, on our plan A, at least at the GM meetings, you're kind of still focused on plan A, right? But right. you learn pretty early what's not, what's, what's realistic and mm-hmm. or, or really more so what's not realistic and you can cross some things off your list and kind of adjust your plan from there. Um, so yeah, I think that's because he's just, that's been his, what he's been used to for so long. I think right. there was a little bit more urgency. We probably did more at the winter meetings than, than a lot of other teams during his tenure. Well, I mean, when he started out in the late seventies, it was probably like everything, you know, boiling up to, I mean, there's, there's winter trade deadlines then. Right. So a totally, yeah. totally different game. I wanted to ask right. about the, the off-season calendar because the last few years, you know, I think last year can completely be discounted because of the lockout, you know, screwed everything up. But, you know, obviously we've seen in 17, 18, you know, 19, these off-seasons, the big free agents aren't signing till late, right? You guys didn't sign J.D. Martinez until, you know, spring training. And we saw the Harper and Machado deals. Um, do you feel like, you know, the that that's, you know, bad for the game, or is it just kind of the, the way the market, you know, shakes out where, you know, teams are, you know, waiting each other out, you know, players are waiting it out. Like, do you feel like there was, um, you know, in terms of a fan perspective, reporter perspective, it's, you know, it's boring when these things are all happening in spring training, right. Instead of December, sure. but for the game, is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's probably not a good thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how bad it's hard. It's really hard not to be honest, to have that perspective when you're, when I've been so close to it to kind of right. be able to step back and, right. but I can think back to when I was a fan. I mean, one of the things I loved about baseball growing up was the hot stove season was mm-hmm. this, all these transactions. I think it's one of the things that makes baseball fairly unique is that there's just so much player movement. Um, and you know, it's, it's not, it's spread out over some period of time. You know, I, I think it's better to have it spread out 
you know, I think you've seen some other leagues, you know, free agency hits and the players sign like that right. day, which 24 hours, obviously a little suspicious of how they get to deals <laughs> that quickly. Right. But um, yeah, I think in baseball, you know, you, I think it's good to have a longer period because it maintains some interest, but yeah, it could probably go too long at times. I, I'd say there's probably been more, I've seen kind of the fear of failure growing a little bit. Mm-hmm. the executive level in the industry. Um, you know, I grew up with Theo, who was, was pretty bold. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was a good, you know, when I look back at the different people I've worked with, I thought he was a good kind of balancing, did a good balancing act of kind of short-term and long-term mm-hmm. thinking, which every every GM has to do. Um, I do see, you know, especially last year, sitting in the GM seat for a while, uh, there was definitely more tentativeness of more of a feeling of, I don't want to get burned or, you know, no one's saying that, but that's kind of the sense I got. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the dynamic that probably plays out with agents. And, and and I think it probably happens on the agent side too, right? Like these guys don't want to do deals that are, you know, panned by other agents and Mm -hmm. their whole industry is, you know, finding ways to steal clients and that. So there's a lot of fear of failure there. So I think, in total, the whole industry, there's a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. um, where there was probably, you know, 15, 20 years ago, my, when I started 20, close to 20 years ago, there was a little bit, there were more gunslingers right. that were willing to be, you know, very aggressive, sometimes having success doing that and other times probably moving a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we talked just a lot about Dombrowski and we'll get a little more into him with obviously what's going on right now, but he would come out at the beginning of an off season. We'd ask him, you know, Hey, what are your, what are your priorities or what are your, and it wasn't priority. It's like, well, we need to designate it. I do the impression, but I'm not going to do it on air. You know, <laughs> well, we'll, uh, well, we need a designated hitter. We need a first base and we need a closer. Like it would just name you the, you know, and you could basically figure out like, oh, well, you know, okay, they're going to go get JD and Mitch Marlin looks like a fit. And, you know, like he, and basically, you know, he made moves, you know, I know JD was an exception, but generally, you know, pretty early. And that I guess is, you know, speaks to, kind of his old school aggressive mentality we were just talking about. Yeah. Dave is always very transparent, whether you're a team dealing with him when, you know, when he was with tigers, I always really respected um, the way he handled business. When we would talk to him about a potential trade, you knew you were going to know kind of whether it was going to happen or not pretty quickly. There wasn't yeah. going to be this prolonged back and forth, you know, 50 phone calls to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. It was going to be pretty straightforward. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. He's very efficient. You know, he decides, you know, he puts thought into what his plan's going to be. And then he's really good at executing on that plan. And, you know, some people I'm sure would say, well, you know, he's spending top dollars and right. giving up, you know, real prospects and, and trades. But, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes that's a good thing, especially when people in today's game seem a little bit more hesitant. I think you could get some advantages by kind of, acquiring players sooner uh, mm-hmm. before, before, you know, if you wait, there's some risk that the players put on the market. So there's different types of risks that he's taking. Um, but yeah, it was always very clear. And he did that with the media too. I think publicly right. early on, I felt like people were like, no, nah, he's not really just telling us exactly <laughs> what he's going to do, but Hey, yeah. why not? He's told every team, you know, mm-hmm. these teams are all pretty open with each other about what they're looking to do. Right. Um, so there's really no reason to be secretive mm-hmm. about it. I feel like, you know, when you were at the Mets, you were pretty open, right? Like you, you tried to be with the media. I know that the New York media, just like the Boston media is, 
it's tough, but you, you know, I know there was a couple of times where um, you just kind of said what's on your mind or you said, you know, things that you guys were looking to do. And um, do you feel like that's kind of gone away? Obviously on the reporter side, I wish everybody was more like that, but do you feel like that's you know gone away in the game a little bit? Maybe. I mean, yeah, I think I was, I mean, I, my intention was to be very transparent. I believe in transparency with the people that I work with or that worked for me in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very inclusive in the Mets front office and, and keeping people in the loop and what was going on because hey, it's an exciting thing to work in baseball when you kind of right. know what's going on. That makes it, I think you get more engagement from your people publicly. I was transparent because I do believe that that's better for the fans. Um, and, you know, you got to keep some things quiet. There's times where I was probably too transparent. I probably said some things that, you know, I, I recognized immediately after I said them, like, I'm going to have to go talk to some players. Yeah. And so they understand the context of why I said certain things. And because you're really talking to the fans in some ways, you're talking to the players too, but you know, I prefer to have those conversations directly with the players, but yeah, you're, you're, you're t- telling the fans, you know, whether, you know, if, if someone's asking you whether your play has been good enough, you just have to own it, be accountable um, and be very transparent about it. And as far as, you know, but you're not going to talk about money and, you know, dollars and trade details, things like that. But I would right. tell people like, you know, if some, something was a possibility or not um, more so after the fact, I didn't want to hurt uh, mm-hmm. our market if our trade market, if it was something, you know, by giving out too much information, but in the end, I think it's good. It's interesting for people to have insight into the process. Right. Talking about Dave Dombrowski has obviously been a big topic, a big topic around here the last few weeks. You know, he came out and said he was hurt by the way it ended in Boston. He didn't feel like he was treated right. Um, obviously took over the Phillies, takes them to the World Series and, and uh, you know, has is now the first executive to do that with with four teams. You were, you were here when that whole thing ended. I mean, Looking back with him, you know, what is his legacy in Boston? And and at that point, I know you weren't the one making the decision, but did it make sense considering where the organization was to to bring a new voice in, do you think? I think his legacy is obviously winning um, right. pretty much. We, we, we won a lot of – we made the postseason quite a bit. We obviously won a World Series. And one of – you know, I've been lucky to be a part of four championships there. And, you know, a lot of ways that one was – um, very satisfying given the position mm-hmm. I was in, given the relationship I had with the manager. We talked so much, Alex and I. So I just really enjoyed that experience. Um, and I, so, you know, he's got a legacy of, of winning with the Red Sox. Right. I think the way it ended, I mean, obviously I can't speak. He's spoken to kind of how personally he felt. It was a mm-hmm. tough day when that happened. It was shocking right. to, you know, the handful of us that were in the suite when he kind of got called over and then came back and told us what happened. That was you know, it's jarring when stuff like that happens. It's shocking because, mm-hmm. um, you know, those things, you never know when they're going to happen. We all know we've been in this game long enough to know that's how things go. Um, so anyway, but I, I think as far as the the decision I, by ownership, I mean, I understand it. I think they viewed, you know, if you look at it from when Dave came, I think they viewed it as we have this really good young core of players and Dave is the type of guy that could kind of put some of the finishing free agent pieces in place or trade pieces to kind of um, elevate that core and, and take make a run at a championship. And then I think at the point when they made the decision, they saw 
all right, we've kind of pushed all our chips in the middle. Mm -hmm. It worked. We won, but we're going to have to, it's going to be really challenging going forward to do what we want to do, which is compete at the major league level while kind of restocking the farm system, building that young talent pipeline, which every organization needs to sustain success. And I think they just felt like that that wasn't the, the right person to do that. And I can't say whether they were right or wrong, but I understand that it's an interesting model. If you think about it, that, you know, is that the plan going forward? Are you going to just always kind of change the leader depending on the right. circumstances? It's um, been the case the last few times around. It's ha- Yeah. It's happened a few times where, yeah, obviously Ben um, was, Ben was very open with ownership about his plan to kind of hold on to this young core that he thought was going to be mm-hmm. the core of the next great Red Sox young, the great red next great Red Sox team. He was right. Mm-hmm. Um, made some missteps on some free agents and, and that, you know, led to a change. So Dude, yeah, it's always changing. Right. Uh, I know you're, you're removed. I'm sure, you know, you still have a lot of friends in the organization and stuff like that. If you were to you know, kind of, as we start wrapping up here, if you look at, you know, from the outside perspective, which was not your perspective for a while with the Red Sox, what do they need to do this winter? I mean, obviously coming off a last place finish, coming off that seesaw back and forth, you know, first to last, if, if you, we're there, I guess, you know, what, what would you think the priorities would be? Sure. Well, I mean, to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time on it. I think right. I, am, I am doing some consulting with the baseball team, but I'm mm-hmm. also focused on other sports right now. Uh, but, um, you know, I think it's probably pretty obvious what some of their needs are. Um, I know they have a lot of financial flexibility this, this off season. Um, the free agent market is maybe top heavy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure how much they're going to play at that end, but I think the internal guys are the key, right. You know, mm-hmm. trying to get Devers wrapped up, I think is, should be a top priority yeah. because if you feel like you can't, or there's no chance, and you know, obviously the last time I was there, it was, we had that situation with Mookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time we, we kind of knew what the answer was, is that, you know, we're, we're not going to a certain level to sign this guy. Yeah. Had the organization had reasons for that. And so therefore we're going to try and trade him and get the best return that we can. I hope that's not the case for, for Rafi. I think, you know, he's given his age, he's a player that is in his talent is well worth a really strong investment, but I'm curious to sit back and see kind of where they go with that. Um, given, you know, like I've said, some kind of philosophies have changed in the past. You know, we went from not wanting to sign pitchers in their thirties and, you know, kind of letting John Lester walk to then investing mm-hmm. heavily in David Price and, you know, not wanting to get in the mega contract business with Mookie. And now they're kind of faced with that same situation again. Right. So I'm curious as an outsider to see uh, how they approach that. And it takes two, obviously, to tango. So I, I, I can't I can't speak to really either side's mindset. Um, Xander's tougher because he's older mm-hmm. and, you know, he's he's a really good player, obviously. Um, I'm curious what, if story is a shortstop option for them. I know they've said that he is, um, I think that's a defensive, he's a good defensive player, obviously not quite the hitter that Sanders. So, so those are key decisions because it affects the rest of what you can do. It affects how much, how how many dollars you have. So those those guys I, I assume are plan A. Yeah, I would think so. Um, it seems like they need a lot of pitching and help really need to upgrade. I mean, their bullpen, um, was pretty thin. You have some guys coming off the books on the rotation, so they need to really focus on that. Um, 
you know, and again, I'm curious to see where they go because of, you know, what I mentioned before with this feeling of, you know, where they're at with risk on pitchers and contracts right. beyond a certain length. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, but there's a, definitely a lot of needs. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, obviously adding some thump in that lineup um, with some of the guys that, that are, or at least JD's case, and, you know, I know JD didn't have the season he probably wanted to have in the end, but um, he's been such a productive player for them over their good years and recent years. So, um, you know, that's going to be important for them too. So they got a lot of work to do. Um, obviously, like you said, I'm friends with a lot of people there. I hope they, um, and, and, you know, I'm Red Sox are in my blood from growing up a Red right. Sox outside of Boston. Um, so I hope they have a really good, interesting offseason and, and are in a position to compete in 23. I mean, I, I'm writing it as this is the most consequential, consequential offseason in recent memory, right? Like I can't remember, you know, so much needing to get done. Do you remember one where it was this much for them? I mean, we did a lot especially in free agency after the 2012 season. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously we were very fortunate that we hit on year one of most right. of those free agents and won a world series the next year. A lot of things had to go right. Um, and obviously there was, you know, some heavy circumstances that led to an even more motivated team. Uh, but yeah, so that is probably the last one that stands out is where we had a lot of holes on the roster and, you know, it is tough. Like you, Hole plugging mode is I might ref- some people refer to it as is a tough way to go. I mean, mm-hmm. building your team through free agency is not ideal, um, but I think they have enough young talent on the way that they can strike that balance um, and find the right guys. But this is yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they haven't been spending in recent years partly because of some of the contracts that were on the books that are no longer on the books. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously high comes from a place where they didn't spend a lot because those were their circumstances. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works this offseason when you kind of have to do that. And, and you know, as, an, as a GM or as a leader of baseball ops, you know almost by definition you're overpaying for players in free agency right. because you're the, it's an auction and you're the highest bidder. So mm-hmm. by definition, you paid higher than anyone else in the industry felt that player was worth. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, and I talk, spoke earlier about executives and a lot of executives today don't want to, you know, they want to win negotiations by a dollar. They want to win the trade and whatever that means to them. Um, that's not the game when you're playing in free agency or when you're trying to add impact, when you're trying to focus on the short term, the long term is a little easier to focus on. When you have to focus on the short term, you start taking pretty large risks. And those are the kind of risks that kind of make or break career. So it is a huge year for the organization. And I'm, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what happens because I think there's a lot of opportunity there for them too. Right. And a lot of, a lot of different ways it can go for sure. We'll finish, we'll finish with you, obviously your new venture founder and CEO of four ring sports solutions. And I could read the, uh, the, all the information off the website, but I let you, you know, in your own words, kind of tell people what, what that is kind of on a day-to-day basis and and what you're doing um, in this new chapter. Yeah. It's actually been really exciting and really fun. I'm trying to help teams improve on, player acquisition and getting the most out of the players they do acquire um, to really to help them build a sustainable winner. So what that means is I typically talk to executives on any sports team. It's all, it's across all sports. It's not just baseball. Mm -hmm. So I have, you know, for example, I have a hockey client right now and talk to the leadership of that hockey team and hear kind of what their biggest 
pro- challenges are, what keeps them up at night, what are their pain points, and right. see if there's some solutions that I can offer to help them. And so one example is, you know, that I get a lot, especially given my background and being involved with, with analytics, is especially in other sports, baseball is very mature in this area. In other sports, we have all this player data. We're not sure how to get the most value out of it. So that's a lot of the type of engagements I'm talking to teams about is, you know, this is either new data to us, tracking data in other sports. I mean, most sports, most sports are at least five to 10 years behind baseball in this area. Some Mm -hmm. sports are 15 to 20 years behind baseball. I mean, and I say that because I'm having similar conversations that I had 20 years ago. Um, but there's also a lot more interesting player data. So trying to help them set them up for success. So, you know, basically I'm a strategic consultant that's trying to help work with them to say, here's a strategy to get you from where you are now to really getting a lot of value out of your information, which really means how does this affect your decision-making on the, Mm -hmm. you know, at the GM level, the scouting director level, farm director level, all your decision makers, how can they leverage this information to get the most value out of it. So it's been really interesting. I'm learning about cricket and more about soccer and, yeah. um, you know, obviously the hockey and baseball. So right now I'm working with hockey and baseball team. It's been a lot of fun and uh, on the verge of some uh, very different sports. I have very little mm-hmm. knowledge of, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm learning a lot and I'm having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, Zach, appreciate the time and thank you for coming on. Very, uh, very informative and I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Yeah, no problem, Chris. Take care.